Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio tends to be afraid to talk about. This is episode 193 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Thursday, July 14th, 2022. Coming up, it's Audio Overload with Soundbite Thursday on this episode of the Doc Washburn Show. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, audio overload with Soundbite Thursday. And let's get right into it. This uh, Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee, which refuses to look into what really happened. Now, I am old enough to remember a few months ago when United States Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky had Attorney General Merrick Garland under oath, and he asked him about Ray Epps. Anybody remember Ray Epps? Here was uh, Representative Massey's introduction. There's a concern that there were agents of the government or assets of the government present on January 5th and January 6th uh, during the protests. And uh, I've got some pictures that I want to show you if the uh, staff could bring those to you. So then he had not only pictures but video of Ray Epps the night before January 6th saying we got to get into the Capitol. And people calling him fed, 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 because they knew what he was. Okay? And we'll have some of that audio for you a little bit later on in the program. But Massey grilled Attorney General Merrick Garland. Here's how it went. All right, you have, you have those images there, and they're captioned. Uh, they were from January 5th and January 6th. As far as we can determine, the individual who was saying he'll probably go to jail, he'll probably be arrested, but he wants every, but they need to go into the Capitol the next day, is then the next day directing people to the Capitol. And as far as we can find, this individual has not been charged with anything. You said this is one of the most sweeping investigations in history. Uh, have you seen that video or those frames from that video? So, as I um, uh, said at the outset, uh, one of the norms of the Justice Department is to not comment on impending investigations and particularly not to comment about uh, particular scenes or particular individuals. This okay, without, I, I was hoping today to give you an opportunity to put to rest 
the concerns that people have that there were federal agents or assets of the federal government present on January 5th and January 6th. Can you tell us, without talking about particular incidents or particular videos, how many agents or assets of the federal government were present on January 6th, whether they agitated to go into the Capitol, and if any of them did? So I'm not going to violate this norm of, uh, of, of uh, the rule of law. I'm not going to comment on an investigation that's ongoing. So, pretty obvious that Ray Epps was a Fed, right? Pretty obvious. He's the one guy they have on video. See, we got to go into the Capitol. He's the one guy who's whispering in somebody's ear. And we'll tell you who it is a little bit. Right before... The guy knocks over the bike rack that's supposed to be some kind of uh, impediment to getting up the hill and into the ca- capital, and you know starts pushing cops around. Ray Epps is the one guy, the one instigator. But for some reason, this January 6th commission, which promised to get to the bottom of everything, they don't want to hear about Ray Epps. For some reason... Your Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI. He was on their most wanted list. And then when people started pointing out who he was, down the memory hole, that's right, disappeared from the most wanted list. Never arrested. Never arrested. Ray Epps. Fed, fed, fed. So... The January 6th theater is going on, and even Fox News pretends like it's legit. Well, I mean, Tucker doesn't, but, you know, most of them do. Anyway, I'm old enough to remember when Senator Ted Cruz was grilling Jill Sanborn of the FBI about Ray Epps. Now, Let me tell you you who Jill Sanborn is. She is assistant director of the FBI over the counterterrorism division. And she really enjoys, she really relishes not answering questions. And so here's how it went, in case you didn't hear it before. A few months ago, junior senator, Texas, Ted Cruz, and the assistant director for counterterrorism, the FBI, Jill Sanborn. I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents... Wait a minute. If FBI agents committed crimes of violence, they should be prosecuted. 
They shouldn't be above the law, right? Isn't that what we always heard? Either President of the United States shouldn't be above the law, right? Bill Clinton, Richard Nixon, whoever, right? But she's saying, I can't tell you if any of my guys committed crimes of violence. Just so you know. Just so you know. Here's more. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? Epps. Oh. I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Is it a crime to lie under oath to a United States senator? Or, since she's law enforcement and law enforcement is allowed to lie, hmm? I'm just asking. Well, there are a lot of people who are understandably very concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered, and there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow... We need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day, the next day, on January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals, in the bottom there, is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading to, for information leading to the arrest. This was posted, and then, sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. The Sanburn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Now, wait a minute. Why does the assistant director of the FBI for counterterrorism say twice, I can't answer that, and then the third time say, not to my knowledge? Was she lying under oath? I mean, it's pretty obvious she was, right? 
And when we talk about the, the, the setup, are you aware? Because, again, I try to play stuff for you here. I try to share stuff with you here that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Are you aware that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or as I call her, Alexandria Occasional-Cortez, or as Tucker Carlson of Fox calls her Sandy Cortez, because that's you know what she called herself in school. Are you aware that she admitted to a correspondent named Pablo Manriquez, a correspondent with uh, Latino rebels, keeping it real since 2011, news commentary and analysis of U.S. Latino world. Are you aware that AOC admitted to this reporter that she knew that Capitol Hill police were in on it? Did you know this? Have you heard this anywhere else? No? Well, you're about to hear it here. These insurrectionists. Like Antifa? And that there were actual officers working with this, and we never got to the bottom of that, and we never got any answers about that. There are actual officers working with the insurrectionists. And, of course, I mean, the insurrectionists were federal agents, too. And then to this day, we're just supposed to pretend that that never happened? Yeah, that's right, Sandy. We're supposed to pretend it never happened. That's what Nancy Pelosi wants you to do. That's what Eric Swalwell wants you to do. That's what Adam Schiff wants you to do. That's what Mitch McConnell wants you to do. That's what a lot of federal judges in Washington, D.C. want you to do. Federal judges appointed by Clinton and Obama and Reagan, Bush, and, Cl- and, 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 and Trump. And what you pretend it never happened. I have no idea what happened to the people on the inside who were very clearly sympathetic with what was going on and opening the doors wide open for that. I have no idea what happened to the people on the inside, very sympathetic with what was going on and opening the doors. Those doors weigh 20,000 pounds. AOC is saying the quiet part out loud, isn't she? And we're, I'm supposed to sit here and pretend like none of that ever happened. And then right afterwards, you have a massive, you know, you just have this idea that throwing money at that problem is going to make it go away without any buildings. accountability. And so this is this is where these things are breaking down. We're not safe. And it's not just about members of Congress not being safe. The Black food staff matter. workers aren't safe. The Black janitors aren't safe. Like, we need to get to the bottom of this. So that's all I got to think about. Thank you, Congress. Let's get to the bottom of it. Antifa, please. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't buying it. He wasn't having it. 
And, of course, he would bring up Black Lives Matter, burning down buildings, uh, Antifa. <laughs> and she's just, you know, she's got her talking points. She's, she's not going to answer that. So Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney's January 6th committee um, they want to give you an impression that objecting to a stolen election is some kind of crime. But, you know, Democrats have objected to electors just about every time a Republican's been elected president for many, many years now. Uh, Jamie Raskin, a major star in this January 6th committee. Here he is in January 2017. Objecting to electors. Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Sounds kind of insurrectiony to me if we're going by the current rules. I know, I know, I know, I know. He's a Democrat. I get it. He's a Democrat. So... Jesse Kelly is a great talk show host out of Houston, and um, he had on the uh, the great Nick Searcy, great actor, who put together uh, a movie, a documentary about January 6th at the Capitol called Capital Punishment. Jesse Kelly had Nick Searcy on and Julie Kelly, no relation, to talk about Ray Epps. So, first of all, Jesse played the audio showing that, of course, Ray Epps, who clearly appears to be a Fed, was instigating what happened at the Capitol the night before. And the only reason he's not arrested, of course, is because he must be a Fed. We need to go into the Capitol! Into the Capitol! Okay, so the first thing you heard was from the night before, we need to go into the Capitol, and people are saying, Fed, Fed, Fed. And then the day of the speech, as soon as the president's through speaking, we head to the Capitol. It's that way. And then we have some noise, and the video shows him whispering into a guy's ear who goes into full attack mode five seconds later. Okay, so a lot of crowd noise there. You're not really going to make anything out as far as what anybody is saying there. So then Jesse Kelly brings on Julie Kelly, but first he brings on Nick Searcy. Nick, this whole thing was a deception, the man said. What's he talking about? Well, Ray Epps is a perfect example of someone that has not been called to testify. He's on tape there exhorting people to go into the Capitol. And even the people standing around him could sense that this was a phony, that this was a Fed. It's amazing that the... uh so-called January 6th hearings, which are supposed to be 
finding out the truth. They haven't bothered to call Ray Epps in. There's also footage of Ray Epps and, and some of his cohorts who started their uh, their uh, fracas at the Capitol before the president even finished speaking. They were already over there, and they removed a lot of the fences and the signs that said do not enter restricted area. Entering restricted area. Didn't know it was a restricted area because the signs had been taken down because Ray Epps and his people had removed them. It's, 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 it's just a complete uh, fabrication what's happening. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So then Jesse responds to responds to Nick Searcy and brings in Julie Kelly. They removed the signs. Julie, did the FBI lose Ray Epps' number? Do they not have Google at the FBI computers? What's right. going on over there? Well, this continues to remain a mystery. Ray Epps, in, in the one clip that you showed, and I have a little bit of news here, the man who he whispers into his ear, that may, he is Ryan Samsel. He was initially one of the first people to breach that kind of phony uh, police line that was right there. Ray Epps whispers in Ryan Samsel's ear. Ryan Samsel has been arrested and under pretrial detention orders in jail for the past 18 months. What came out this week is it looks like Ryan Samsel might recant his initial FBI interview where he says that Ray Epps tried to calm him down and tell him not to do anything. And it looks like Ryan Samsel might backpedal on that uh, initial um, interview interview that he gave the FBI, so it'll be interesting to see. But look, we've been promised that we were going to see the transcript from Ray Epps' uh, testimony before the January 6th committee. We have not. He was removed from the FBI's most wanted list when people like Darren Beatty started raising questions about him. We still don't know why he is not charged. Jesse, they are arresting people every single week. Now, 18 months after this four-hour event, this FBI is still hunting people down and charging them with really misdemeanor trespassing charges for doing far less than what you saw Ray Epps doing for two straight days, January 5th and 6th. Still a mystery. Can't get any answers out of the FBI or any other agency, including the select committee that's supposed to be a truth-finding mission. Now, interesting she brought up Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, a guy who's broken a lot of news about Ray Epps and January 6th. We got some new stuff from him coming up. Darren J. Beatty and Revolver News. New stuff from him coming up. First of all, thank you so much to our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do on the Doc Washburn Show. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, 
you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. 4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And thank you so much to our friends, our advertisers, Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial Advisors, and, of course, Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. We appreciate you all so much. All right, now, Darren J. Beatty at Revolver.News with more on Ray Epps, the guy that should have been arrested, right? The instigator. Okay, first of all, there is... A sweetheart, a puff piece about Ray Epps in the New York Times. And Darren J. Beatty says the New York Times puff piece on Ray Epps is hugely important. Ray Epps, the only person caught repeatedly directing people into the Capitol, is the only January 6th rioter the New York Times has written a puff piece for. They know Ray Epps is a smoking gun. And this likely is the beginning of a monumental damage control campaign to get acquainted with Epps 
Watch the video compilation. Well, we just played you the audio a few minutes ago. Again, this is the one January 6th rioter in the, the New York Times has managed to write a puff piece for. Let's turn to the Times piece and skip straight to the buried lead. Here we see reference to a text message Ray Epps sent to his nephew describing how he orchestrated movements of people to the Capitol after Donald Trump's speech. New York Times says Mr. Epps also said he regretted sending a text to his nephew. Well, after the violence had erupted, in which he discussed how he helped to orchestrate the movements of people who were leaving Mr. Trump's speech near the White House by pointing them in the direction of the Capitol. Now, Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, asks, Will this text soon become a matter of public record? What exactly is his phrasing? Will other Ray Epps communications soon come out? that will further clarify this sudden need for aggressive damage control? Also, the entire New York Times piece, the whole article, contains no explicit denial by Ray Epps of association with military intelligence, homeland security, joint terrorism task force, or any cutouts or intermediaries. We have references to, quote, lies, unquote, and Ray Epps wished that, quote, the truth come out, unquote, in addition to denial of association with law enforcement. I want, <coughs> pardon me, Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News says, I wonder if Alan Fewer, the reporter from the New York Times, could clarify for the record. Did he ask Ray Epps if he had any association with any intelligence agencies or cutouts of such agencies? If so. What did Ray Epps answer? If he didn't ask, why not? Alan Fewer's New York Times piece describes Ray Epps as a Trump supporter. He says, quote, Trump traveled to Washington to back Mr. Trump. It's got to be Epps traveled to Washington to back Mr. Trump. That's a typo. And that he took a last-minute trip to Washington for Trump's speech about election fraud. The only problem is Epps didn't go to Trump's speech. Right? Got it? That's right. This alleged Trump supporter traveled all the way from Arizona to D.C. and didn't even attend Donald Trump's speech. Instead, he spent the evening of January 5th and the morning of the 6th telling people to go into the Capitol. And there is video proof. Did Alan Fewer? The obscure New York Times reporter who doesn't even have a blue check on his Twitter account. The obscure New York Times reporter who penned the puff piece. Did he think to ask Ray Epps why he traveled all the way to D.C. from Arizona and skipped Donald Trump's speech? For that matter, did New York Times reporter Alan Fewer ask Ray Epps where he got the idea to urge people to go into the Capitol in the first place? Did it occur to him out of the blue? Did someone else... Give Ray Epps the idea. If so, who? The whole purpose of the January 6th committee is supposed to be to figure out what caused January 6th. Ray Epps was calling for people to go into the Capitol the evening before. Would it be newsworthy to know where where Ray Epps got the idea to tell people to go into the Capitol and why he was so doggedly fixated on that particular mission? 
the very fact that these questions weren't asked indicates that this is one of the sloppiest and most transparent cover-up jobs in New York Times history. A total fewer job. F-E-U-E-R. Alan Fewer. The New York Times attempts to wave off Ray Epps' January 6th participation as negligible, similar to those who committed minor offenses and weren't charged. Yeah, here's what the New York Times says. While Mr. Epps was a participant in some of the events that unfolded on January 6th to claim that he inspired the Capitol riot in a so-called false flag plot is solely based on the fact that he has never been arrested and therefore must be under the protection of the government. But scores, if not hundreds of people, who appear to have committed minor crimes that day were investigated by the FBI but have not been charged or taken into custody. That's what the New York Times says. But Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says, Yet Epps is the key person caught on video with an advanced plan to go into the Capitol. He's there the morning the morning of, directing people to the Capitol, and he's right up at the barricade during the initial breach. After the breach, Ray Epps runs into the restricted zone. Note that many others, including Jeremy Brown, Owen Schroyer, Ibrahim, Coy Griffin, and others have been hit with trespassing charges for doing exactly that, but Ray Epps isn't open to just a trespassing charge. Not enough has been said about the significance of the following video, and this is particularly damning. Note Epps' message. He says, when we go in, leave this here. Epps says this just minutes before the initial breach of the Capitol grounds. Here here we go. All right. No, Dave, but one more thing. Yeah, sir, can we go up there? No? When we go in, Are we going to get arrested if we go up here. there? Yeah. You don't need to get shot. arrest us all? There's a few of us, like a dozen or so. Okay, but one more thing. Yeah, sir, can we go up there? No? When we go in, are we going to get arrested if we go up here. there? Yeah. You don't need to get shot. When we go in, leave this here, you don't need to get shot. Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says, How is this not a basis for a conspiracy charge? For some perspective, January 6th defendant George Tanios faces serious conspiracy charges for saying, No, no, not yet, it's still early, when his alleged co-conspirator asked for bear spray. Yeah. Yeah. Ray Epps' participation in the January 6th riot was sufficiently egregious to make him one of the early targets of the sedition hunters and earn him a spot as one of the first 20 of the FBI's most wanted for January 6th. Okay? Amazingly, Ray Epps is referenced as a pre-planner of the Capitol siege in the New York Times' own video documentary of January 6th entitled Day of Rage, How Trump Supporters Took the U.S. Capitol. Did you know that? I think I think I've got that that audio here. I think I've got that audio. Let me see. Cuz I've got so much audio to play for you today. I don't know if I recorded it into the system. If not, I could just play it right off of the uh No, here it is. 
Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. The New York Times own documentary has Ray Epps front and center. I guess they didn't know they're going to have to eventually do a uh, a con job on everybody, whitewash it later. And how for some, storming the Capitol was part of the plan all along. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! Did you get that? The New York Times own documentary. Undercuts everything they're saying now in this puff piece. As Darren J. Betty, Revolver.News, says in this thread on Twitter, the very same New York Times that now dismisses so-called conspiracies about Ray Epps refers to Epps in its own definitive video documentary as a rioter for whom, quote, storming the Capitol was part of the plot all along, unquote. Again, the New York Times video documentary features Ray Epps as one of the key orchestrators of the Capitol siege. The New York Times piece ominously suggests Ray Epps will sue news outlets for defamation. Okay, so should he sue the New York Times for suggesting that he pre-planned the Capitol attack? Because that's what they did in their own ostensibly definitive video documentary of that so-called Day of Rage. The bottom line here is that Ray Epps is a smoking gun of the Fed's direction narrative. And the New York Times is kicking off a massive damage control campaign to make any unsanctioned ideas about Ray Epps too toxic and dangerous to print. Regime janitors like Alan Fewer, who specialize in mopping up Fed dirty work, they'll go into overdrive as more about Ray Epps and the initial breach comes out. Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says we're onto their game. It's too late. Ray Epps says he just wants the truth to come out. Let it be so. And he links to their article, one of the articles they have about Ray Epps over at Revolver.News. Yeah. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. I, uh, I get upset when people... Lie. You know, the idea that uh, people are uh, suspected of small crimes, the idea that people suspected of small crimes aren't being targeted, aren't being persecuted by this FBI. Um, No, that's not true. 18 months later, 18 months later, they are still going after people who didn't do anything. You know? It's horrible. It's horrible what they're doing. They got this uh, grandmother, Miss Hemphill, who didn't do anything. Walked in, walked out, had no idea she wasn't supposed to be in there. The cops opened the door, right? And she's got to report to women's prison. Got a couple of clips of her, Ms. Hemphill. Well, that's how you turn the public 
and show them and listen, this story with Dinesh and the coverage you got yesterday, people are very upset. They didn't know any of this. Yeah. They didn't have any idea how bad it was, Pam. Well, you, and now that they know, it's gonna, it's time to get loud. You know what happened, David? I went to a prayer group that were supporting January 6th, the ones that are locked up, you know? That's right. And I want to pray with them for those people. Um, so what happened, they started praying for me, and, and then one thing after another happened. They started telling people, and next thing I know, I'm on these. So God did this. She's talking about how she got publicity. She went to a prayer group where people were praying for people like her. And next thing you know, next thing you know, she's getting publicity. That's how I found out about her. Pam Hemphill, uh, about to get out of the car and report into a women's prison in California, a federal prison. Here she is with her daughter. Yes, we have arrived at the Dublin Federal Prison for Women. We're here with Pam Hemphill. Mom, how do you feel? You're here. I'm scared to death. I'm, I'm frightened, but I know God's with me. I just got to take it five minutes at a time, one day at a time. Mom, what do you have to say to the American people as your last words before you go in? Just keep your faith that no matter what's going on in your life, God's with us no matter what's happening to us. It's going to be okay in our lives. So just lean on God and... Trust, do what's right and and help make this country better again and support all those that are uh, right now locked up in the January 6th people that are not getting any trials. God bless you all. I forgot to tell you. She's 69 years old. She has cancer. She's facing 60 days in federal prison. I forgot to tell you that, 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 that part. So, of course, you can't give on uh, GoFundMe because they don't like conservatives. Well, you can go to Give, Send, Go and look up Pam Hemphill and maybe help her out there. You know? So, just a thought. Just a thought. as this government continues to persecute innocent people. I just thought I would share that with you. Because it's, uh, it's very upsetting. By the way, um, the great J. Michael Waller, Senior Analyst for Strategy Center for Security Policy, points out that um, New York Times reporter Adam Goldman earns his living by having a special relationship with the FBI. Okay? Because Adam Goldman is trying to... He, he's a little bit more well-known than Alan Fewer, New York Times. He's trying to get this uh, puff piece out there about Ray Epps. He says, Ray Epps has suffered enormously in the past 10 months as right-wing media figures and Republican politicians have baselessly described him as a covert government agent who helped to instigate the attack on the Capitol last year. But again, the New York Times' own documentary has Ray Epps instigating. New York Times article, headline, 
quote, it's just been hell, unquote, life as the victim of a January 6th conspiracy theory. Subhead, Ray Epps became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea that the FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. Let me say something about that. Uh, The FBI sting about the uh, kidnapping plot on the governor of Michigan, which they announced in October when early voting had already started. So the head of the FBI Detroit field office then got promoted to be the head of the Washington, D.C. FBI field office a couple of months before January 6th. Do the math. I said it. Do the math. Pitiful. Are you awake yet? Are you... Are you paying attention yet? I hope you are. I hope you are. Let me once again express how thankful we are to advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton. M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas... Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, Eczema, vertigo, 
Problems with your blood sugar? Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, thank you again to our friends, our advertisers, Drs. J.R. and Tanya Crabtree, my doctors at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, and my good buddy and attorney, Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Appreciate y'all so much. All right, a, a, a lot, a lot has been going on. Um. The story that was shared with uh, the mainstream media from an abortionist in Indiana, and they ran with it without getting any verification, any vetting whatsoever. And, of course, those of us who are paying attention didn't believe it for a minute because, I mean, if you're going to kill kids, what is lying, you know? It turns out there actually was a pregnant 10-year-old girl who was taken from Ohio to Indiana for an abortion. But how did she become pregnant? Well, uh, okay, so it turns out uh, by an illegal alien. And it turns out there may be a number of mandated reporters who didn't report the rape. I'm sorry, a 10-year-old cannot consent. No how, no way. This is not one of those countries that doesn't have statutory rape laws. This is one of those countries that does in all 50 states, different ages, but all of them way over 10. Now, this would not be the first time that an abortion provider did not report a statutory rape to law enforcement, if that is indeed what happened. No, no. It surely would not be the first time. So just so you know, we naturally did not believe the story because it was from an abortion, an abortionist in Indiana who wouldn't give any details, and none of the mainstream media that, that just ran with the story, they didn't care if it was true or not. But the Ohio Attorney General started digging into it. Lo and behold, there was a pregnant 10-year-old who had been made pregnant by an illegal alien who reported it because the Ohio Attorney General was like, yeah, we can't find anything on this. What, uh, what, 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 what? So I tell you what, um, I hope the abortion didn't happen because I'll tell you one thing. 
The rape is bad enough, but forcing the little girl to kill her baby. That could be right there, a lifetime of trauma. A lifetime of trauma. No, no, I told you. I warned you. This is not like other talk shows. So, um, on a somewhat related note, a U.S. representative from Texas named Chip Roy, he, uh, he put forth a bill. Put forth a bill to... Um, Make a mandatory 15-year sentence. Mandatory. He wanted to increase penalties for all child sex trafficking offenses. 15 years. And guess what? Every Democrat in the United States House Judiciary Committee rejected, rejected that bill. Every last one of them, Jerry Nadler, New York, Madeline Dean, Pennsylvania, Zoe Lofgren, California, Sheila Jackson Lee, Texas, Steve Cohen, Memphis, Tennessee, Hank Johnson, who thought that Guam might flip over from Georgia, Ted Deutsch, Florida, Karen Bass, California, Hakeem Jeffries, New York, David Cicilline, Rhode Island, Eric Swalwell, you know, the guy whose girlfriend was a Chinese spy from communist China. Ted Liu, also from California. Jamie Raskin, Maryland. Pramila Jayapal, Washington. Val Demings, Florida. Uh, Louis Correa, California. Mary Gay Scanlon, Pennsylvania. Sylvia Garcia, Texas. Joe Joe Negus, Colorado. Lucy McBath, Georgia. Greg Stanton, Arizona, Veronica Escobar, Texas, Mondaire Jones, New York, Deborah Ross, North Carolina, and Corey Bush, Missouri. All of them said, no, no, no. We don't want more jail time for people found guilty of child sex trafficking offenses. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about the Democrat Party? I'm telling you. You see this trend of these uh, these drag queen shows with little kids, right? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Eventually, they're going to say, "Hey, you know, we've been saying all these years, love is love." Well, that includes that includes adults and children. They will say that. They will do that. They've already stopped calling them pedophiles. They're calling them MAPs, minor attracted persons. Believe me when I tell you it's coming. Okay. Anyway, Congressman Ken Buck asked Chip Roy about his amendment to increase jail time for people who sexually traffic children. A question about his amendment. First, I want to thank uh, Mr. Roy for this common sense amendment that deals with the overall issue as opposed to trying to piecemeal this this out. And uh, I suspect we won't deal with the overall issue uh, if, if we continue to piecemeal this out. But, Mr. Roy, can you think of any circumstance 
in which an individual induces, coerces, controls a child and forces that child into the sex trade where that where that individual, that defendant, that criminal doesn't deserve 15 years in prison. I can I appreciate the the question from the gentleman. Uh, he uh, is to a former prosecutor who prosecuted for a lot, lot longer than I did, and I appreciate uh, his recognition of that truth. I mean, as a father of two, as a former prosecutor, uh, it defies all belief, uh, all common sense, that you would say that someone who traffics a child in the sex industry actually puts a child into that environment for that child to be sexually abused, that that individual should not have a minimum sentence of 15 years. I don't think there is a prison, a hole underneath a prison, deep enough to throw that individual. You get the idea. That's that's where Twitter clipped it. Not a one of the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee agreed. Not a one. I just thought you should know. I just thought you should know. Okay, now, I, I love this. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Your Way, redriveryourway.com, big old car dealership. In the middle of the USA, Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Today's tweet of the day is actually a short thread from Joel Berry, managing editor of the best satire website in America, the Babylon Bee. But this is not sat- satire this time from Joel Berry. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me get some H2O. He's making an incredible, you know, they say all humor, best humor is based in truth. So humorous, including the guys who work at Babylon B, have to be thinking in terms of the truth. And here's some serious truth he's laying down here. Because the liberals are out there lying and saying that pregnancy resource centers are duplicitous. They're deceitful. They're saying that the pregnancy resource centers are pretending that they're abortion clinics, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren. That's what she's been saying. Did you hear this before I get to the tweet of the day? Elizabeth Warren herself, who is just demonic, Here's, here's how she lies about the pregnancy resource centers. In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able 
to torture a pregnant person like that. The torture is of the babies, right? So here's what Joel Berry says in the tweet of the day. He says, exactly zero pregnancy centers advertise themselves as abortion providers. But every abortion provider advertises itself as a women's health clinic. Abortion clinics never have the word abortion in their names. Now, why is that? For every one woman who entered a pregnancy center looking for an abortion, there are 10,000 women who've entered abortion clinics just looking for options only to be sold abortion by a pushy salesperson. That's true now. He says, never forget these evil people will always accuse you of the things they are doing. Their industry thrives on false advertising to women. They don't want women to have options. They don't want them to be empowered. They want them cornered desperate, and ready to shell out $1,000. And that's the truth. That is the truth. So thank you, Red River Your Way, for sponsoring the Tweet of the Day, and thank you, Joel Berry, from the Babylon Bee, for telling the truth. So there's been... A lot of testimony recently in Congress about abortion, about Roe v. Wade, about what is a woman, and some pretty hideous things have been said. Here is Sarah Lopez of Fund Texas Choice and Jane's Due Process. Her organization specializes in getting teenage girls' abortions behind their parents' backs. Relatively smoothly, um, but what these restrictions are intended to do is try and make people, try and stop people from having abortions, but abortion is health care. My abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love, and I'm here today to make sure that everybody who currently needs an abortion, who has had an abortion, or will need an abortion, is not alone, no matter what the state tries to force upon us. Thank you so much. Hey, I know you don't believe it, Sarah Lopez, but every one of us will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what we've done on this earth. Every one of us. Every one of us. Now, U.S. Representative Virginia Fox from northern North Carolina she was having a very different conversation with uh, Senior Counsel for Americans Defending Freedom, Aaron Hawley, about these pregnancy resource centers. So in your opinion, is the Dobbs ruling an attack on women's rights? And did women ever have a constitutional right to take the life of their unborn baby? The Supreme Court opinion, Dobbs cogently explained that there is nothing in the Constitution's text or structure or in our nation's history that would in any, that would in any sense support a right to an abortion. Uh, if you look at our nation's history, abortion has been unlawful since the common 
common law. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was decided, that case overturned the pro-life laws of nearly every single state. Would you talk a little bit about the pro-life movement being a pro-woman movement? Absolutely. There's, uh, as we mentioned, uh, of course, babies uh, can be female as well. Uh, so it's definitely pro-woman in that sense. Uh, as well, the pro-life movement and ADF believes in the inherent dignity and value of every single person. Uh, we believe that every person uh, has the right to life and that the pro-life community has and will continue to come alongside and empower women. Uh, if we talk about pregnancy care centers, uh, they're not fake centers. Uh, in 2019, they spent one point, or excuse me, served 1.85 million families, provided $266 million worth of goods, of car seats, of baby formula, which is surprisingly hard to get, of diapers, of the things that women really need. They also provide emotional counseling, they provide fatherhood training, housing, educational training, things that can enable women to survive and thrive. Yeah, see, um, those are what we call inconvenient truths, right? Inconvenient truths. We go from the liberals saying, well, you don't care. You don't care about the babies after they're born, okay? To them trying to shut down the very entities that do help mothers and children for years after they're born. We do care, and they know that, and it makes them crazy. Again, um, you see the anger with Elizabeth Warren that somebody might choose not to have her baby murdered. And she just can't tolerate it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Okay, the audio overload continues. Continues on the uh, soundbite Thursday. So let's see, which, which is the next one? I mean, as long as we're going with this. uh, Yeah, how about uh, Senator Mike Braun? Senator Mike Braun was much, much more respectful of abortion enthusiasts than I could bring myself to be. I just, yeah, I I don't think I could do this. I mean, you know, you're tempted to say, well, Mike, you're a better man than I am. Senator Mike Braun is a Republican, very popular Republican from the state of Indiana who did not have a primary opponent this year and will probably cruise to reelection. But he is being um, he in this back and forth with these hideous people. He's being very, very respectful. I think he talks to two pro-aborts and then a pro-lifer, if I can can remember how this goes. But anyway, 
Here he goes. Listening to uh, Senator Smith's uh, point of view there, I think. Talking about Senator Tina Smith, pro-abortion Democrat from Minnesota. Uh, as we do give it, uh, this is a topic that um, I think uh, for 49 years has been in one place. It's now come to another. And I think we got to be careful that uh, we don't get too caustic in either point of view. Uh, right now, the Supreme Court says it's back with the states. Uh, I've been a believer on this issue. Uh, from the get-go, you do not demonize the folks you disagree with, and you make sure that in this case, uh, when we have returned this to the people, we make the right decisions at the state level. I'm going to have the same question, uh, and I'm going to start with uh, Ms. Detzer. Uh, you were quoted on September 17th, 21, on Fox 13, Seattle News, that you have not looked back except in celebration and deep appreciation for your choice. And again, respect that. I'd like to ask you, though, when it comes to when your state grapples with it, uh, at what age do you think uh, gestationally it's no longer appropriate to have an abortion? Uh, Just a simple question, and I think that any of us, uh, if we're out here uh, talking about the issue, um, especially in states where it may go beyond where it's commonly accepted, I'd like to know your opinion. Okay, now you notice he's asked a very respectful question, very respectful tone of voice, just wants to know if um, this person believes in abortion right up until the moment of birth. Sorry, Senator, could you repeat your question, please? You and your some of the organi- organizations you support uh, support abortion, I believe, up until the moment of birth. And I'd like to give you the chance to clarify that if you think that's still where it should be or if there is an age uh, beyond which you would not be comfortable with an abortion. I am not a medical provider. That's irrelevant. Um, I have no uh, standing to make any statements about medical limits. Sure you do. What I am here to do is to share with you all my personal story of abortion access and to highlight how my mother's story of abortion access was so very different. Oh, so you wish she could have murdered you. Had some guy rip you limb from limb. Interesting. That's a different perspective. And how much changed in just one generation between us. So putting a medical issue aside uh, and assuming there was none, is there an age beyond which you would be uncomfortable with an abortion? See, so what he's saying here is, okay, um, an elective abortion, an abortion done for convenience, an abortion done when they're, you know, it is no medical issue. I'm sorry, are you asking me to consider an abortion not a medical procedure? Cause- well, it's, yeah, because it's murder. And medicine, medicine, we, we learn, you know, first, first do no harm. You know, the Hippocratic Oath. So, yeah, it, it's not a medical procedure. It's a murder. Because I believe that it is. It is health care. Because I believe that it is. It is health care. 
Did you hear, did you hear that? I played it twice. She's lying. But again, I had a friend years ago who told me that be, she had two abortions because before she became a Christian and repented of her sins, and she was a radical feminist abortion activist because she was trying to stuff out this voice in the back of her head telling her what she did was wrong. And so she had to pretty much evangelize other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, abortion's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, it'll be good for you. That's what this woman's doing. Taking the inherent risks of an abortion aside, and if it's minimal, do you think there's an age beyond which you'd be uncomfortable with it? I'm sorry, could you please repeat that question? I'm I'm not sure how to separate health care from an abortion. He's very politely asking her a question, and she's acting like she's too stupid to understand what it what it is. That's it. That's it. She believes in murder. That's it. So you're making that point, and I'll let you rest on it. Uh, I'll go to uh, Miss Brandy with the same question. Now, Ms. Brandy is an abortionist. She kills babies for a living. No, 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 I, I looked her up. Dr. Kristen Brandy, K-R-I-S-T-Y-N, last name B-R-A-N-D-I, in Montclair, New Jersey. Proud OBGYN abortion provider. Oh, also bi slash pansexual, just so you know. And then it says liberal. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Liberal? Now, that's the shocking thing, that an abortionist with uh, uh, pronouns in her bio on Twitter would be liberal. I, I, knock me over the leaf. I didn't expect that. Anyway, so here's the, uh, here's the murderer speaking. Excuse me, Senator. Are you asking me a question? Are you asking the same me question right? I asked uh, Ms. Getzer? I apologize. Let me let me guess. She's going to act like, act like she didn't catch the question either. Because I was confused. I'm Dr. Brandy. Thank you. Um, I think what you're trying to bring up is abortion care later in pregnancy. Um, and I understand people have very different opinions about what that looks like and how they feel comfortable regarding different um, gestational age limits. But I think talking about these hypothetical scenarios doesn't actually respect the pregnant people that I take care of every day. The pregnant people? Oh, you're one of those. So, she's trying to erase women also. That have varying circumstances. Um, And as a physician, I think the most prudent thing is to listen to their stories, assess their own medical risks, depending on where they are in pregnancy, and help them decide what's best for them. I think bans based on a gestational age, whatever that gestational age is, just create barriers to care and don't actually improve the safety of care, which is what I care about most for my patients. Now, being a doctor, I think you may have a better way to answer the question in the sense that uh, I know there's medical risk in doing anything. Uh, at the point, you can't eliminate risk, but to where say there would be as little as you could determine at the time, do you still think it's appropriate for someone to choose an abortion up to the point of birth? 
Senator, again, that hypothetical that I think is brought up quite a bit actually is not what abortion care looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, abortion. We're not talking about day-to-day. We're talking about it does happen sometimes. All right? We're talking about it does happen sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, huh. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking, you know, you can do online reviews. You can do online reviews of doctors. Did you know that? And I haven't been able to find any for Dr. Kristen Brandy in New Jersey. Even though she's saying that it's important to listen to the stories of her patients, right? I just, I'm not so sure she does that. Because I checked one review the doctor website after another, and I just, I can't find. Oh, she's at Rutgers Health, OBGYN, in New York. So I guess she has a lot of college students whose babies she kills. I just can't find any reviews on this woman. I, I'm not so sure she does actually listen to her patients. I just... I can't find any reviews. And I, I went to um, healthgrades.com. Doctor.webmd.com, sharecare.com, ratemds.com. No reviews. But she wants people to think she listens to her patient's stories. I wonder if she's one of those abortionists who doesn't even introduce herself to the patient. Tries to get it over with as quickly as possible. I'm just curious. Uh, Vitals.com doesn't have any reviews either. Every one of them has a page for her. But but no reviews. Now, why do you think that is? Just anyway, um, here's more. Care after 20 weeks is about one percent of pregnancy, and I think it by focusing on that, you delegitimize and you disrespect a lot of the patients that are seeking this care for very legitimate and important reasons. Hmm. Okay. So, abortions after 20 weeks are only one percent of her practice, and and of course, why not believe a murderer? She's not going to lie, right? Miss Swindell, would you like to weigh in? Okay, so then she talks to Brandy Swindell, who actually um, 
runs a pregnancy resource center in Idaho. And here's where it gets kind of interesting because she's not a murderer. Sure. Uh, I believe in uh, what uh, all the medical textbooks say. I'm not a medical professional, but uh, life begins at the beginning. And uh, there's an amazing spark that occurs when the sperm and the egg meet and a new embryo is formed. And I believe in respecting all stages of life and development. I think that's an important part of human rights and also women's health care. And so I, I believe in what the medical textbooks say. I believe in biology. I believe in science. And frankly, it's it's not rocket science. Life begins at the beginning. And abortions at any stage take the life of an innocent human being. And that is a grave human rights violation. I was born after 1973. Uh, I was born in 1976, aging myself here. Uh, and I was open prey in my mother's womb. My government decided that I had no constitutional rights or human rights or civil rights. And it's a new day and it's a new era and preborn children, uh, their humanity is being respected. And it's a great, it's a great thing. Thank you, and I respect all of your opinions and ask the question because of how difficult it is to answer and why this should be left with the states, with the people within the states to make that decision. When you look at... Yeah, Senator Brown, your time. At, yes, and I'll finish up here in just a moment with that diversity of opinion. So uh, thank you for your answers. Wow. I wonder I wonder how long this woman has been an abortionist this uh Kristen Brandy I just uh I wonder about that because when I when I went to LinkedIn which is where you look up people's bio and stuff I typed in her name Uh, it looks like her bio is hidden and it has her as a social worker at a New York City Administration for Children's Services. I don't I mean, obviously she's got a medical degree. But no reviews. No reviews whatsoever and any website that I can find. That's just fascinating. Anyway, uh, I appreciate uh, Mike Braun, Senator Mike Braun, for interviewing these folks. Um, He uh, did a good thing. Did a good thing. Uh, Senator Marshall from Kansas also was on the same, I guess it was the uh, Oversight, Senate Oversight Committee also had a uh, um, conversation with uh, Brandy Swindell, Pregnancy Resource Center in uh, in Idaho, and went something like this. 
For years, Planned Parenthood has claimed that they are not focused on abortion but provide a slate of services for women. Why then has Planned Parenthood closed a clinic in your home state of Idaho and has plans to do so in other states that have passed laws or plan to pass laws to prohibit abortions? Great question, Senator. Yes, I think there's been at least 60 Planned Parenthoods and abortion clinics nationwide that have closed uh, since uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is interesting when you hear the argument that they are all about helping women and uh, you know, providing all these other services and abortion is just less than 3% of what they do, well, then why are they closing all their clinics down? Wouldn't you want to stay open to help women, whatever they're going through, uh, with an unexpected pregnancy and to help navigate the current climate or perhaps provide all those other services that you claim to provide? So the reality is they are in the abortion business. That's what they want women to choose. And so um, I think that's being exposed right now. Uh, my home state of Idaho, yes, the Planned Parenthood in Boise, right next door to one of our Stanton Healthcare Clinics, uh, closed down. I do want to say that in Idaho, we have eight pregnancy resource centers and life-affirming clinics throughout the state of Idaho. Now there are two uh, Planned Parenthoods and I think maybe one other abortion clinic. So if anybody would like uh, some helpful uh, advice on how to have enough accessibility for women facing unexpected, unexpected pregnancies, you can look to the Pregnancy Care Center movement and send like Stanton. Again, nationwide, we outnumber abortion clinics four to one. So if you want accessibility, um, you know, look to us, look to what we're providing. And also it makes the, the charges against our centers and wanting to shut us down. I think Senator Elizabeth Warren said, let's go after clinics like Stanton Healthcare with $100,000 fines um, to shut down what we're doing. So how can you want more care for women um, in one breath, abortion care and and explain all these scenarios where women are underserved and marginalized and then go after the exact clinics that are providing those services very well in our nation. Good point. Good point. That is uh, Randy Swindell from Idaho. She runs a uh, pregnancy resource center up there. Now, there's a woman named K.R. K.R. Pardon me. Got kind of tongue-tied there. A woman named Kiara Bridges, K-H-I-A-R-A. American law professor, anthropologist, specializing in the intersectionality of race, reproductive justice, and law. In other words, she's an abortion enthusiast and a racist because intersectionality is all about racism. So um, a couple of uh, a couple of Republican senators decided to ask her some questions. John Cornyn, senior senator from uh, Texas, lead lives that are filled with dignity and humanity. And that to means your, being able your way to, of thinking, that happens when more black babies are aborted. I believe, I trust, I love black people with the capacity for pregnancy. I think they have agency, they have intelligence, they know what is best for themselves, and I would love to create the conditions under which they can live lives that are filled with dignity and humanity. And do you think a, do you think a, a baby that is delivered alive has value? Yes. Do you think that a, um, a, a baby that is not yet born 
has value? I believe that a person with a capacity for pregnancy has value. They have intelligence. They have agency. They no, have I'm dignity. talking about the baby. And I'm talking about the person with a capacity for and pregnancy. And you're not answering the question. I'm asking. I'm, you I'm, think answer, that a, I'm answering a more interesting you question that, to you me. think that a baby that is not yet born, let's say the day before this mother delivers, do you think that baby has value? I think that the person with the capacity for pregnancy has value, and they have the they should have the ability to control what happens to their lives. Well, and and I just note you refuse to answer the question. It's evil. She's brainwashed. It's evil. Our Lord said, "The I. The I is the." the light of the body, and if the uh, the light is dark, how great is, is the darkness, right? Evil. A person with the capacity of pregnancy? Only people have the capacity to get pregnant are women. And she knows that, but she'll get very upset with you if you point that out, that's what happens with the next senator who attempts to have a conversation with her, Senator Josh Hawley, junior senator from Missouri. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Before, uh, I want to visit with you, Ms. Maskey, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity. No, no. Cis women. Do you even know what that means? Have you heard that before? Because she's acting like it's a thing. I remember Norm MacDonald, before he passed, had a show and he was trying to explain to somebody what cis meant, C-I-S, short for cisgender, opposite of transgender, used to describe someone whose gender identity matches their anatomical gender at birth. In other words, normal people who don't pretend that they can change their sex. She's uh, she's sold out to the lie, just so you know. Capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. Trans men and non-binary people. In other words, women or girls who have mental issues. But this woman wants you to act like it's not a mental issue. It's just as legit as normal people. No, I got to tell you something. Um, I've had guys tell me they think all women are crazy. I've had guys tell me that. And I have said, well, I have found out that not all women are crazy. But I'll tell you one thing. I would rather be married to a woman who might sometimes wonder if she's crazy than be married to a woman who tries to put you on a guilt trip for not buying into the crazy. And once I say that, 
Every time the guy's like, oh, oh, I'm with you, brother. Oh, I got it. I understand that completely because they've been there. They know. They've been with women like that. Well, this is a woman like that. And she is about to get hot under the collar, a United States senator, for not buying into the crazy. And it goes something like this. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, We it's, can it's recognize what? that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic. See? What did I tell you? What did I tell you? She's calling in names. For having the gall to politely ask a question. These are the kinds of people that if they ever get power. They're going to want dictatorial power. They're going to want the power to put you into prison and perhaps worse. Not just for what you say, but for what you're thinking. This. This right here is the mindset of Fidel Castro, of Che Guevara, of the French Revolution, of Pol Pot. I mean, I could go on, but I think you know. (laughs) Um, And it opens up trans people to violence by not... His questioning opens up trans people to violence. Recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. And I wonder if it's because they realized too late that they shouldn't have let some butcher pretending to be a doctor mutilate them. Because the research that was done by the British government health system is the suicide rate was much higher among people who regretted having gone through the puberty blockers and or the mutilation than the people who didn't. But she doesn't care. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning. So we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm denying that trans people exist by asking you you if you're talking about women. Are you? Listen to this. She would love to put him in prison. She would love to put him in prison. Listen, the audacity, the disrespect. Man, oh, man. Josh Hawley, you're a better man than I for putting up with it. In pregnancies? Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you're denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that they're at opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time questioning. in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a lot I just know. this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. She's evil. There's no other way to put it. She's evil and she desires power. She has a lust for power. She's a law professor at Berkeley. Okay. Got it. 
But here's one thing she won't talk about. And I found this fascinating. This is uh, just some woman on TikTok. Yes, hi, hello. I've just been thinking today, and I'm curious. Do you think Black Lives Matter is upset by the fact that the Caucasian son of the President of the United States is able to film himself repeatedly committing the same crimes that his daddy threw black men and women in jail for for the past 30 years without even so much as getting a slap on the wrist? In fact, evidence actually suggests that daddy weaponized the full force of the FBI to cover it up. Do you think they're upset? Because they're awfully quiet. Yeah, they're awfully quiet. Any Black Lives Matter folk say anything about Hunter doing crack all over video? It's out there all over everywhere? Because they're awfully quiet. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Anybody? Anybody? Representative Andrew Clyde from Georgia. Um, he was uh, was questioning the uh, president of the National Women's Law Center. And Ms. Goss Graves. And Julie Kelly helpfully points out that Miss Goss Graves' husband is the Washington, D.C. U.S. attorney prosecuting over 850 Trump supporters related to January 6th and who indicted Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro for contempt of Congress. She's a far-left radical activist with a history of derogatory comments about Trump and his voters. So, Andrew Clyde wants to know if she knows what a woman is. Okay, earlier this year, our newest Supreme Court Justice, uh, Katandra Brown-Jackson, was asked what a woman is, and she had a difficult time defining that. Since you are the president of the National Women's Law Center, I was hoping that you could define what a woman is for us in this committee hearing. Well, as the president of the National Women's Law Center, you can imagine I say woman a lot uh, in my day job. Okay, so I'm just asking for the definition. So and and so, what I'll tell you is, I am a woman. That's how I identify. Okay. But I wonder, however, if in part the reason that you're asking a question is that you're trying to suggest that people. I am simply asking the question, and I simply want an answer. And so, I think it's actually really important to be very clear here that there are people who identify as non-binary. I think okay. about five right. percent of young. We're not going to go there. I was hoping maybe you would. I was hoping that you, maybe you would say something that maybe we learned in um, high school biology that has to do with X and Y chromosomes, but uh, which define male and female, but I guess we're not going to get there. Yeah. I guess we're not going to get there. Now, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. There was a... Uh, there was a USA Today reporter who flipped out that Senator Josh Hawley had the gall to ask the question that he asked about 
why this woman kept on saying people with the you know, ability to become pregnant instead of just saying women. Stephen Porter over at USA Today said, don't feign ignorance about Senator Josh Hawley's, quote, questions, unquote. He was making a statement. His claim that trans men and non-binary people who can get pregnant are actually women. He's asserting that their reproductive organs define their gender. That's literally transphobic. And so I responded to this uh, USA Today reporter, this uh, Stephen Porter. I said the idea that gender can be separated from sex was first proposed by Dr. John Money. He committed unspeakable acts on little boys which drove them to suicide. Are you comfortable being his devotee? So, um, if you're not familiar with John Money, and you have a strong stomach, steal yourself. It's rough, but you can, you can, you can, you can look him up, and you can find out stuff about John Money. Now, the same people. who would love, who would love to throw you in jail, not just for what you say, not just for what you think, but for what you believe. These same people desperately want to take your guns away. Now, there is a wonderful American patriot, a fellow named uh, Thomas Massey. He is a Republican member of the U.S. House of Representatives from the state of Kentucky. And he did a little speech about how they want to take your guns away. And I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't share it with you. Because, again, after all, it's audio overload on Soundbite Thursday. So U.S. Representative from Kentucky, Thomas Massey, a word to the wise, pay attention. Before I talk about the substance of this bill or the lack thereof, I'd like to put it in the context of the other dozen or so unserious, unconstitutional, unnecessary, and unsafe responses to gun shootings in this country that the Democrats have offered and passed in this chamber. What have they done? Well, they they passed a law to ban magazines with a capacity of more than 15 rounds. And the chairman of the Rules Committee claimed that this would stop shootings like the one at Virginia Tech. What he failed to mention is the shooter at Virginia Tech never used a magazine that had more than 15 rounds. That's an example of an unserious solution that's come from this body. What else have they done? They've changed the definition of a gun dealer. So that any law-abiding individual who sells a firearm to anybody and makes a profit of it now might be a gun dealer and therefore prosecutable in a federal crime. What else have they done that's unserious or unconstitutional? Well, they've passed a law to ban gun trafficking. The problem is that's already uh, illegal. But who did they sweep up in this dragnet, in this new law? Well, they swept up domestic violence victims who might ask a neighbor for a firearm. You got that? 
They want women to die. That's it. Now they can be prosecuted. Not the neighbor who gives, not the good Samaritan, not just the good Samaritan, but also the domestic violence victim can be prosecuted as a gun trafficker under a bill that they passed here. Recognizing this flaw, I offered an amendment to fix it in the Judiciary Committee. Every Democrat but one, one of them had a little bit of common sense, voted against that amendment to fix their own bill. What else have they done? Well, they passed a bill that I'm going to call unconstitutional on arrival. It's already been ruled unconstitutional. If you read the D.C. versus Heller decision, the the Supreme Court justices said you can't force Mr. Dick Heller to keep his gun uh, uh, unloaded and disassembled in his house because that violates the Second Amendment. But that's exactly what one of their laws that came through this chamber in just the past couple months does. It's called the so-called Safe Storage Act. It's already unconstitutional. But who likes this bill more than anybody? Home invaders. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great to know that by federal law, everybody who's got a firearm now has to have it locked up and unattainable, unaccessible in the amount of time that would it take to respond to a home invader. They want people to die. That's the point. You got to have your gun locked up so... You can't get to it if somebody invades your home. What else have they done? A red flag bill that deprives citizens of their due process and endangers police officers. Police officers who are going to be required to respond in pre-dawn raids of people who haven't had due process, have never had their day in court, haven't even reached a a level of evidence that's sufficient, The red flag bill is bad. What else have they done? They passed a bill to deprive 18, 19, and 20-year-olds from purchasing semi-automatic rifles and semi-automatic shotguns. Now, they're already deprived of their constitutional right to buy a handgun, but now we're just going to sweep in all of these things. But are they going to then raise the draft age to 21? Now that we're saying, you, we, Uncle Sam will give you a gun. Uncle Sam can conscript you to the military, send you overseas to fight for a constitution that doesn't even protect you or your wife who is at home taking care of the kids if you're 18, 19, or 20 years old. They want people to die. It's all about power. A lust for power and a lust for blood. That's clearly what's going on here. They don't care. They don't care. This one is also unconstitutional on arrival. The Ninth Circuit, one of the most liberal circuits in the country, has already ruled that. And why is this so disturbing? We heard earlier today from one of my colleagues in this debate that she wants to ban assault weapons. Well, the House Democrat Twitter account tweeted that all semi-automatic rifles are weapons of war. Really? There are a lot of people in Kentucky who own Remington 750 deer rifles who are going to be shocked to find out that they purchased a weapon of war. If you saw one of these, I think you would all agree this is not a weapon of war. But it's an alarm to every American who's out there watching this debate that they are coming after your guns. Now let's get to the substance of this bill, or the lack thereof. Why are we here debating this bill? This is the second time we voted on it, the second time we debated it. Why are we here again? Because they tried to suspend the rules of this body and get it through without following the rules of this house. And they failed. 
So that's why we're here again, to give it the debate it deserves. So the bill is called the Active Shooter Alert Act of 2022. In the Democrat cities where they've defunded the police, I think you should call it the You're On Your Own Act of 2022. Yeah, that's right. They're going to tell you you're on your own. But can you turn this thing off in Chicago? How will you get any sleep? if they? Because you got a shooting literally every night in Chicago. If they were serious about stopping crime or helping individuals, this would be called the Active Violence Alert Act. What about violence committed with the car? Violence committed with the knife? No concern for that, because the true purpose of this bill, passing here today, is to scare people. It's to scare people on their phones. They can't get away from their phones. It's going to be popping up saying, be afraid somebody's got a gun. And they are going to try and condition the American public to ask to repeal the Second Amendment, either explicitly or implicitly here in this chamber. And I urge opposition to this bill, and I yield back. There you go. Again, as I, as I often say, I don't want you to ever say, well, Doc, why didn't you tell us? Doc, why didn't you warn us? So I try. I try. Now, do you remember what, um, what Jill Biden said the other day when she couldn't pronounce bodega? And she compared all Latinos to uh, breakfast tacos. But we can't get those things on our own. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio... Is your strength. And so she gets, she gets uh, a little bit of applause from people who don't mind that she's patronizing them any more than the folks in the church in Selma, Alabama didn't mind that, that uh, Hillary Clinton was patronizing them back in 07 when she was running for president before they knew who Barack Obama was. I come too far to turn back now. Remember that? Yeah. So some of them applauded because, well, she's, she's you know, she's a liberal, she's one of ours, et cetera, et cetera. But it was tepid applause. I, I don't think she got much applause there. I think some people are like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you remember when um, she didn't know how to say si se puede? Si se puede is Espanol for yes, we can. Now, Dr. Jill Biden, with a doctorate of education, is just not all that bright. So instead of saying si se puede, she made something up. So say it with me. She said, The future is ours. Thank you. People look at each other saying, She say Poidway. What does that mean? No. 
It's not si se puede, it's si se puede. It's not bogada, it's bodega. I know, I know, Kamala Harris makes her look like Einstein, I get it. But still, but still, not that bright. Now, Ted Cruz, who, by the way, is Latino, and Marco Rubio, who, by the way, is Latino, uh, neither one of them were really happy about being compared to tacos by Jill Biden. And, and, and here's Ted and Marco standing there with him. The Biden White House has time to write speeches at something called a Latinx conference. I don't know what that is, where they very kindly call Latinos tacos. Well, Marco and I both appreciate being called tacos. Remember about that speech? That wasn't a gaffe. That wasn't Joe Biden going off script. Some White House operative sat down and typed into the teleprompter, this is a good idea to call Hispanics a bunch of tacos. Yeah. So. They get away with, well, you remember Biden saying, if you're trying to figure out whether to vote for me or Trump, you're not black. Oh, no, you ain't black, is what he said. Remember that? He told uh, a black morning DJ in New York City, hey, if you're still trying to figure out whether you support me or Trump, then you ain't black. That's racist, you know? That's racist. But again, you can get away with that if you're a Democrat. You can. You can. Now, I shared with you on a previous episode Molly Hemingway's article at thefederalist.com about how Joe Biden is steadily trying to federalize the elections. And in case you missed that, Tucker Carlson had Molly Hemingway on this week, and here's what happened. 100 federal agencies to, quote, expand citizens' opportunities to register to vote and obtain information about and participate in the electoral process. Agencies had 200 days to file their plans, and they have done so, but the Biden administration is keeping those plans secret. They've refused to respond to congressional inquiries on the topic. Now, why is that? No good reason. Molly Hemingway, almost alone, has been looking into this. She's the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, also author of the book Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, which they have. She joins us tonight. Molly, you wrote a great piece in this, which I hope that our audience will read. But summarize for us, if you would, what this is about. What's going on? Yeah, so just as you said, President Biden issued an executive order telling all 600 federal agencies to submit plans about how they could engage in a federal takeover of elections. You might remember that when Democrats took control of the Senate and the White House, they had uh, their signature legislation was a federal takeover of, of election administration. Now, they failed to do that. This appears to be something of a backup plan where they can get involved in all sorts of election-related activities using the bureaucracy. And there are so many problems with this. I mean, first 
first and foremost, it's unconstitutional. The Constitution is very clear that it is given to state legislatures to handle election administration in their states. It's also really unethical. I mean, you noted that people are desperately trying to find out exactly what these plans are, and they're not being given details, but details are starting to come out, and it appears that at that point where government benefits meet with the people, they are taking advantage of that opportunity, you know, whether it's a homeless shelter or whether it's food distribution programs or health programs as a way to do this federal overtaking of election administration. Um, and it also is a recipe for chaos and confusion. Um, it, you know, each state has different laws, and the idea that federal bureaucrats who don't even necessarily do a great job with what they're supposed to be doing could manage all those intricacies is, you know, it's delusional, and it's just a very disruptive thing to our system at a time when the entire country needs to have confidence and belief that the elections are secure. Yeah. So they did the same vacuity. They screamed racism loud and elderly white people screamed about racism until they were allowed to control our elections. And Republicans came. Same story every time. And I appreciate your covering this almost almost single-handedly. Molly's trying to warn you. I'm trying to warn you. It's uh It's entirely possible it could get a lot worse before it gets any better. Just letting you know. It's entirely possible it could get a lot worse before it gets any better. So Biden blames everything on Putin, blames everything on the Ukraine war, right? So uh, I believe it's an Australian reporter. Is it Australian? Or British? I'm trying to remember. Asked him, how long do you think this war might go on? How long is this going to last? How, how long is this onslaught going to last? His how long is it going to take? When we're there till it takes whatever time it takes. We cannot let him prevail. It can take months. It can take years. It could. Mm-hmm. You think the war could take years to ten? No, you said that. Yeah, you said okay. it could, okay? It could. No, it could. No, you said it, Joe. And then once you blamed her for saying it, then you said it again. Got it? You said it. You spoke the other day of the the great transition with high gas prices, right? I mean, the guy would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. We are suffering from inflation imposed as a consequence of what's going on in Ukraine, but we have the lowest rate of almost every major nation. No, we have the highest inflation rate of almost every major nation. I got to tell you, Kamala Harris, what does she say? Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. Yes, you need to get to go. There you go. Just a glittering jewel of something. I'll let you know if I figure it out. Oh, um, 
So as we continue with the audio overload, the audio overload on Soundbite Thursday, an intrepid reporter had the nerve to ask Gavin Newsom, governor of California, a question. And it went something like this. Governor, why is it okay for you to take money from a felon? Uh, and you know that the way you frame that is going to lead me to ask you to flesh Your office that. is aware of my question. I've tried to schedule time to talk well, to you about this. I, I don't know what you're PG&E about. was convicted of, a federal, of six federal felonies in 2016. After that, you took more than $200,000 to help get elected. How should people trust you to be running the show to come up with the solution? I, um, I, I wish you luck with whatever you're working on, but uh, that's a strange question. So. Well, I know it's a strange question. It's a strange time, but there's a convicted federal felon making campaign donations in this state who are duly elected leaders, including the speaker, who took almost nine grand. Look, we're trying to focus on It's a issue. serious question. You don't think oh, people I'm, want an answer to that? Might make. Uh, we are focusing uh, very, very uh, collaboratively on addressing uh, the issue of not only one IOU that went bankrupt, but the prospects of two IOUs going bankrupt. The prospect that two in Southern California will have a downgrade uh, in their bond rating. They well aware leave. of the issue. Is it okay for oh, you I'm, to take the money from them with I'm, the felony conviction. They're still serving their sentence for crying out loud. We have additional questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a policy question about the wild card. You're not going to answer. You're not going to answer the question. I, I I don't know what more I can say. That will you say can say so. whether you agree it was okay to take money from a felon and will you give it back? We have additional I mean, questions. Just, I, don't I know you have additional questions. Uh, All right. Policy questions about the wild card. That's pretty good. I don't know who the uh, reporter was. But that was pretty good. I mean, in a sane world, you know, he'd be making six figures working for a um, a television network somewhere. But alas, we don't live in a sane world, do we? No, we don't. Dementia Joe. Dementia Joe. He was confronted by a reporter trying to ask a serious question. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they don't. the polls. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Now, here's the thing. The 92% was, if you already had the nomination and you're up against Donald Trump, 92% of Democrats say they would vote for you. But two-thirds of Democrats are like, yeah, but we don't want you to be the nominee. So, it's like Tucker Carlson said the other night on Fox News, sure, he's got dementia, Sure, he's a national security threat because he has dementia. Right? But in his lucid moments, he's still the same old Lion Joe. That's what he's always been. And What he has put his children through, and even his grandchildren, I mean, the guy should be in jail. 
the guy should be in jail. His daughter's diary comes out, which has been confirmed that it's hers. She's talking about taking inappropriate showers with her father when she's a little girl. He should be in jail. His uh, granddaughter, Bo's daughter, Hunter's niece, who now is on some of these uh, leaks of Hunter's video stuff. And it's rough, man. It's rough. Anyway, she kisses Granddad Joe on the lips publicly over and over again. Like it's it's a thing. Guy should be in jail. Just so you know. Just so you know. Oh, there's video of him over the weekend uh, um, talking to some folks, again, smelling a little girl's hair. Happens often. He won't stop. He promised he would, but he's not going to. Senator Kennedy, John Kennedy from Louisiana, was speaking with uh, Gina Mendez Miro. And she is a uh, judge in Puerto Rico. She's an appellate judge of the Puerto Rico Court of Appeals. And she's a nominee to serve as a U.S. District Judge of the U.S. District Court for the District of Puerto Rico. And, of course, if confirmed, she would be the first openly LGBT federal district court judge in Puerto Rico. I guess it's not LGBTQ because she doesn't have any more questions. But anyway, um, Senator John Kennedy of uh, Louisiana had a question for her about what Congress is allowed to do according to the Tenth Amendment the U.S. Constitution, it went something like this. Can the United States Congress do anything, legislate in any area that the Constitution doesn't prohibit? Um, thank you for your question, Senator. You're welcome. That would be, that would be correct. Um, I believe it's um, under the Tenth uh, Amendment. Um, the There are certain... Um, uh, certain discretion for Congress um, to to go beyond the list uh, that that the Constitution provides in terms of the matters that can be legislated. So you believe that Congress has plenary power as opposed to enumerated powers? Well, I think that the Supreme Court um, has acknowledged that there are some uh, rights and, and, and that are not enumerated, and, and the Constitution recognizes the Congress's ability to... No, I'm, we're not talking about unenumerated rights. I'm, I'm talking about the power of Congress to legislate. Congress indeed has that power as for constitutional acknowledgement, sir. Okay, so you're telling me that Congress can legislate in any area unless someone can point to the Constitution 
that says it cannot. Uh, my understanding would be that Congress indeed can legislate extensively. It doesn't have to be enumerated exclusively. I think that's a, that's a recognition that Constitution um, acknowledges. I don't think that's right, counsel or judge. It's not right. It's not right. It turns the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution on its head. The Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. She's saying, I don't believe that. She's saying there are no powers beyond the grasp of the U.S. Congress. Congress can do anything it wants. She turns the Tenth Amendment on its head. And you watch, Republicans, there will be Republicans who vote to approve her, and then once she's on the federal court in Puerto Rico, next time there's an opening, the U.S. Supreme Court should be on the short list. One of those people who believes that... uh, the U.S. Constitution is a living, breathing document and couldn't care less what the founders intended. You watch. I'm trying to warn you. Okay. Um, audio overload continues on Soundbite Thursday. Um, now, we played... We played... Joe Biden a little bit ago saying, read the polls, polls, Jack. Remember that? Played a little bit ago saying, read the polls, Jack. The whole thing about the uh, 92% of Democrats say they'd vote for me. Well, what I forgot is we got Sky News out of Australia explaining the whole thing. That was Joe Biden there urging a reporter to read the polls. The president was exiting the congressional picnic at the White House when he and a reporter went toe-to-toe on what a recent New York Times and Siena College poll meant for his administration. The reporter asked Biden what his message was for Democrats who don't want him to run for a second term. That was in reference to the poll that saw 61% of Democrat voters say they want the party to elect someone new for the 2024 presidential campaign while 29% of Democrats want the party to keep Biden as the candidate. The same poll saw the president cop a dismal job approval rating of just 33%. But Joe Biden wasn't having it today, hitting back at the reporter, telling him to read the polls, and that in actual fact, 92% of Democrats would vote for him if he runs again. However, that statistic is a little more complicated because the question for respondents was actually about which candidate would they vote for if an election were held today, and if it was just between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So naturally, most Democrats would vote for Joe Biden. Within the poll, only 13% of voters described the United States as being on the right track, while 77% said it was heading in the wrong direction. Respondents were asked to rank the most critical issues facing the country right now. Inflation, the cost of living, as well as the economy, continue to be ranked at the top of concerns for most polls undertaken. Democratic voters ranked the state of the economy on 13% as their top priority 
economy. Those surveyed were asked to rate the economic conditions today. Just 1% total described it as excellent, while a majority, 58%, described it as poor. This includes Democrat voters, where only 2% said the economy was excellent and 36% said it was poor. There you go. So you got Democrats saying, hey, we're going the wrong way. Going the wrong way. Sky News there. Out of Australia. Um, speaking of inflation, I don't know if you heard about this. Before I begin, I will address this month's CPI report. Kamala. Ugh. There is no question that we still have work to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just can't. I can't listen to that voice anymore. She's going to lie just like all the rest of them. I just can't. Did you hear what um, Biden did in uh, in Israel? Freudian slip talking about the honor of the Holocaust. I will once more return to the hollow ground of Yad Vashem to honor six million Jewish lives were stolen in the genocide and continue, which we must do every, every day, continue to bear witness. To keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, horror of the Holocaust, honor those we lost. Have I mentioned to you that um, Biden is an embarrassment? Have I... uh, Have I mentioned that to you? That Biden is an embarrassment? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it continues to go on. Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci. You know how shy and retiring he is. I don't know how in the world they got him on camera. You see, if you look at the map, where just a couple of months ago it was a lot of green and some yellow, now we're seeing a fair amount of orange, which means you really should, in an indoor setting, a congregate setting, be wearing masks. It's just the appropriate thing to do to defend, to protect yourself and your family. Masks don't work. He knows they don't work. He doesn't care. He likes torture. Gave money to uh, some researchers over in Tunisia to um, torture beagle puppies to death. He's uh, he's a bad guy. He should be in prison. Oh, he's responsible for a lot of deaths. Maybe worse. Maybe worse punishing the prison is what he deserves if found guilty in a court of law. You know? Tony, Tony, Tony. I mean, he's, he's, he's over 80 years old now. He's, you know, none of us live past, what, 115 these days. He'll have to stand for God, too. Tony. Everybody wants to put this pandemic behind us. You don't. And feel and hope that it doesn't exist. It does. 
I'm done, Tony. I am done. Um, matter of fact, done for the night. You've been listening to episode 193 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers. But they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Thursday, July 14th, 2022.